The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. I'm going to start us out in the book of Isaiah. And the reason why is because Christ came... He didn't come to be born and to rule as a king. He came to do something for us. And if you've never heard this passage, it will touch your heart. And if you have heard it, it will touch your heart. This is Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13 and going through all of Isaiah 53. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form like the sons of men. So he shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what they had not been told, them they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Yes, we celebrate Christmas, but we do it because we celebrate the one that came to give his life for our sins. And it's important to remember that, that the little child lying in a manger was destined to die on a cross. And so that's where we stand on that today. If you got Bible, whip it open to the book of Luke, New Testament, third book in. Matthew, Mark, Luke, okay? 
Chapter 2. All right, here we go. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all who went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But... Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Our sermon today is Micah chapter 5. It's verses 1 through 5. This is entitled, The One to be Ruler in Israel. Now, while I'm looking for those uh, verses, I would ask you to consider that... uh, Today's sermon, although it's a Christmas sermon, deals a great deal with the nation of Israel. And there's a reason for that. I mean, there's a reason why I'm doing this, and I hope that you will appreciate what you're going to hear. But just so you know, it it deals with a lot concerning the nation of Israel. But specifically, it is about Jesus Christ. Micah chapter 5, verse 1. Now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. Each year at this time, those who believe in Christ Jesus gather together to celebrate his coming. And it is appropriate that we do so. It is true that Jesus was not born on 25 December, at least not from the womb. According to scripture, that actually occurred in the September-October time frame. 
However, by knowing this, we can know with all certainty that Christ was born in the womb at this time of year. And that fact is the true miracle of Christmas. The incarnation occurred in the womb of Mary, and it represents the most pivotal moment in all of creation. God created all things by his spoken word. And then on that first Christmas, God united to that creation through that same word. This is what Micah prophesied of long before it came to pass. Isaiah prophesied of this event as well. Taking what the prophets say about the coming Messiah, a clear picture begins to develop. Though the words seem impossible, they are either true or the word we read and cherish is not the word of God. Isaiah first says in Isaiah 7 verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. People have attempted to diminish the reality of what is written there as not meaning what it says. In other words, it is claimed in the Hebrew, the word virgin, which in Hebrew is Alma, doesn't necessarily mean virgin. But the Greek translation of the passage and the New Testament, which cites the Old Testament, which is also in Greek, shows that virgin absolutely means virgin. It's the Greek word parthenos. When we take that and then add in the words of our sermon text from Micah, we are left with no other possibility than the birth of Christ is more than just a supernatural event, but it is the supernatural event. As incredible as the creation of the universe itself is the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ, even more so. Our text verse comes from Philippians chapter 2. It's verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Christmas child didn't just come and set up a kingdom to demonstrate his great power over the people of the world. Rather, he came in his humility. He lived in obscurity, and he died in obedience to the will of his father for an unimaginable purpose. It is something so incomprehensible that the words of David are needed to help us adequately see the reality of the matter. In Psalm 144, David asked, Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him, or the son of man that you are mindful of him? That is what we should ask when we consider what God did for us in Jesus Christ. Because what he did for us is actually beyond our ability to mentally grasp. It was the Father's will that Christ would come into this futile stream of our time, live out a perfect life, and die in our stead. Knowing that should make us realize one thing and ask another. It should make us realize that we have value to God. And it should make us ask him, what is it about us that you find of any value at all? Yes, David's question is perfectly relevant to what occurred in the coming of the Christmas child and how it relates to us. 
I've thought about it for many years, and I am no closer to an answer than I was when I first asked that same question. But the fact is that it is true. Man has great value to God. It is a truth which is revealed in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have just two thoughts for you today. The first is from eternity past. It's Micah 5, 1 through 5. First one. Now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. The book of Micah is dated at somewhere between 750 and 686 B.C. This places him as contemporary with Isaiah. The prophet foretold of the coming fall of Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom, and he also spoke of the future destruction of the southern kingdom of Judah. Micah 5 begins with a picture of war being waged against Judah, even to the point where it would come to its destruction and a subsequent and continuous external rule over it from that time on. The city of Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, is told to gather herself into troops. In Micah chapter 4, a scene of misery is prophesied against her in verses 9 and 11. The prophet returns to that thought here in chapter 5. Things will be so bad within the city that the people will have to muster themselves as a band of defenders. Babylon is coming, and the siege will require every capable person to be mustered in defense of that great, terrible horde. However, there must be more to this than the Babylonian invasion. Verse 410 says that the people would go to Babylon, but they would be delivered from there. And in fact, Jerusalem was rebuilt after the exile, but it was always under foreign rule. There was the later deliverance of the people under the Maccabees, and there was also the siege and the desolation of the city under the Romans. The temple was destroyed in A.D. 70, and Israel, God's chosen, was dispersed among the nations, seemingly forever abandoned to obscurity in punishment. During each of these incidents, the people gathered themselves together into troops, sometimes finding temporary deliverance, but also eventually finding destruction. The prophecy of verse 2 will show that each of these is centered on one to come who would be put in contrast to the people and the ruler of the city where they were placing their hope of life was and it remains to this day misdirected. Verse 1 continues, he has laid siege against us. Here, the prophet identifies himself with those who were being besieged by saying against us. Prophetically, he is of the people who were to be attacked and destroyed and then dispersed. Therefore, he identifies himself with the future coming upon them. This future would include, verse 1 continuing, they will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. The judge of Israel spoken of here is its leader. He is set in contrast to the Lord Jehovah, who is called their king in verse 213 of the book. It may even be a sort of pun that the prophet is relaying. The king of Israel is Jehovah, who breaks forth before the people. But the judge of Israel is a man in a city besieged and who is struck with a rod on the cheek. It is the greatest of insults to be so struck. Time and again, a strike on the cheek in scripture indicates this. This was first fulfilled in Zedekiah, Judah's king at the time of its destruction by Babylon. He was captured and his sons were killed before his eyes. And then his eyes were put out. From there... He was bound and carried captive to Babylon, imprisoned, and remained so until his death. But what is subtly being hinted at is that they would continue to suffer terribly at the hand of their foes until the coming of Messiah. 
The rulers of the land cannot protect the people apart from him. With Israel returned to her land in modern times, but still being in a state of rejection of Christ Jesus, the prophecy actually continues to be fulfilled in modern Israel. They trust in a human ruler who will inevitably be humiliated. But there is one who can end this once and for all. Verse 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah. Jerusalem is now contrasted to Bethlehem Ephratah. Both names indicate the fertility of the location. Bethlehem means house of bread. Ephratah signifies fruitfulness. The reason for including the name Ephratah is because there were actually two Bethlehems in Israel. The other was located in the north, in the tribe of Zebulun, about six miles north of modern-day Nazareth. It is named only once in the Bible, back in Joshua 19, verse 15. To ensure that the southern Bethlehem, the one in Judah, was more specifically identified, both names are given here. As it is contrasted to Jerusalem, the city of the great kings is shown to be lesser than this little and even insignificant town of Bethlehem. It is noted not because of its size or fame in weaponry, but because of one who will come forth from her. Verse 2 continues, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. The words are formed in such a way as to show motion leading to an outcome. There is a contrast between what was said and what is now stated. In Jerusalem, there is a great city. In Jerusalem, there is a multitude of people. In Jerusalem, there is the judge of Israel. But coming forth to the Lord out of an insignificant and backwater town, there is one coming who would be a mashal or a ruler in Israel. The word signifies to have dominion over. The Lord's name is not stated here, but it is implied. The prophet is not speaking of himself, but the one who is speaking through him. The Lord has proclaimed the birthplace of Messiah, but he next throws the thought into confusion for those who refuse to see. Verse 2 continues, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. The coming ruler was to have a beginning. This is evident from the idea that he would come forth out of a location. Because location is a part of creation, it could not have existed into eternity past. Because it has a name, it was identified as a location some point after it came into existence after the creation. But at the same time, the one who is coming forth from that location has motza'ah, or goings forth, which are mikadem, or literally, from the east. It is an idiom meaning from the absolute forepart. In other words, from eternity itself. Just as from man's perspective, the sun rises from nowhere, so this ruler would also come from the eternal past. There is no beginning to his coming. Instead, it simply is. The author then further defines this by saying, Mime olam, or from the vanishing point, meaning from the place where nothing is known of it. The motza'ah, or goings forth, is a plural construct in the Hebrew, and it signifies the eternal and continual generation of the Son from the Father. There is no time that it did not occur, and it shall occur for all eternity. Charles Ellicott says of this, The nativity of the governor of Israel is evidently contrasted with an eternal nativity, the depth of which mystery passes the comprehension of human intellect. It must be spiritually discerned. And so this is true. Israel could not and indeed still does not discern this. The veil remains when the law is read. 
What the words here clearly imply is that because he was before the creation, he must be the creator because only the creator can exist before that which is created. Verse three, therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. The words here have long been misconstrued by most scholars, and yet lone voices of understanding have arisen even going back hundreds of years. Adam Clark rightly states that Jesus Christ shall give up the disobedient and rebellious Jews into the hands of all the nations of the earth till she who travaileth hath brought forth. It is obvious that he is speaking of the one described in the previous verse. It is also obvious that Israel is the subject of being given up. Therefore, this is not speaking of something occurring before the coming of Messiah, but after. The coming one, this eternal ruler, would give up Israel until a specific point in time where Micah says it is when she who is in labor has given birth. It is a reference to what Micah's contemporary, the prophet Isaiah, wrote about. Here's what he said in Isaiah 66, verses 7 and 8, and which all Jews today say is speaking of modern-day Israel and their being born as a nation. Here's what he says. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Zion, the woman in labor, would once again give birth to a male child. And so Israel was prophesied to be brought forth once again. That occurred on 14 May of 1948. And the time prophesied has now arrived. The Messiah had given up his people, turning his love and affection upon a people who were not a people. Now that body of believers has almost reached its fullness. When that day arrives and with Zion once again prepared to resume her role in redemptive history, the church will be taken to glory and, verse 3 continues, then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. The prophet speaks of a remnant of his brethren. The only two times a remnant is mentioned in the New Testament, it is speaking of Israel. Paul, in both Romans 9 and Romans 11, refers to the fact that only a very small portion of Israel would survive what lies ahead, and that only a very small portion of them would be saved in belief at that time. That has proven true throughout the history of the church age, and it is a history which is quickly catching up to the events prophesied in these ancient verses. At a future date, probably not far off from our time now, something will occur among them that has been anticipated since the time of the words of the prophet. Most translations say that this remnant shall return to the children of Israel. However, the word return can also be interpreted as convert. And this is how the Latin translates it. It says they shall be converted to the children of Israel. And so the meaning is that either the saved remnant shall return with the Savior when Israel is saved, which makes no sense at all, or that the remnant of survivors of Israel shall be converted at the end of the tribulation period, something which is actually prophesied to occur in the book of Zechariah. The latter is much more likely also based on Jesus' words to Israel. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 23, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers its chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, 
Your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus says that they will call out to him as the one who comes in the name of Jehovah. This is exactly what Micah is speaking of. And it is what Jesus says will occur. When Israel is converted, they will call to him as the Lord Jehovah. Peter's words to the Jews then further confirm this. Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but who are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Israel had been set aside. But Peter, writing to the Jews of the end times, shows that though they had been set aside, they will once again be the people of God. That this is correct is based on the words of the next verse, verse 4. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. Ve'amad ve'ra'ah be'oz Yehovah. And shall stand and shall shepherd in the strength of Yehovah. There's a dual meaning in these words. The first is that he shall stand as a king, and yet he shall do so in the tender, loving kindness of a shepherd over his people. The symbolism absolutely permeates scripture. But the 23rd Psalm is sufficient to set the example. Yehovah Roi. Yehovah is my shepherd. John 10 verse 11 is sufficient to explain the meaning. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Messiah, meaning Christ Jesus, is the embodiment of Jehovah, and it is he who will, in kingly splendor, stand and tenderly shepherd in the strength of Jehovah. And yet, there is more. He shall shepherd, verse 4 continues, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Begon Shem Jehovah Elohav, in the excellency of the name of Jehovah his God. The shepherd of Israel will possess all the majesty and indeed all the excellency of the name of Jehovah his God. The dual nature of the man who is God is revealed in the words of the prophet. Verse 4 continues, and they shall abide. The word here, ve-yashavu, is rendered ve-yashuvu in many manuscripts of antiquity, including three Hebrew, as well as the Syriac, the Chaldee, and the Latin Vulgate. Instead of, and they shall abide, it would then say, and they shall be converted. Considering that Messiah gave up Israel until the time of their return to the land, and that because of unbelief, this is far more likely the proper rendering. Israel shall be converted, and Israel shall be saved. And the purpose of this is that the Lord shall be magnified among his people, as is next stated. Verse 4 going on, for now he shall be great. To the ends of the earth. Ki yigdal ad aretz. For now he is great to the ends of the earth. The words, those speaking of the distant future by the prophet, are written as if it is already accomplished. Translators are not wrong to state this in the future tense, but it is only a future to what we know in relation to the state of the world as it now exists. However, in the mind of God, the outcome is as if it has already happened. In that, time is simply catching up with what has occurred in his mind. The thought here is that from among his people who are now converted, even to the ends of the earth, the Messiah will be known for who he is. The words here are directly tied to the final conversion of Israel in the knowledge of who he is. 
Until that happens, it cannot be said that he is great even to the ends of the earth. When his own people do not recognize him for who he is, there is a lack. The lack is not in him, but it is in the knowledge of him. However, when they finally realize what even the ends of the earth have come to know, then the knowledge of his greatness will be universal. And in that universal knowledge, there will be a new order of things. Verse 5 finishes with this, and this one shall be peace. Vehaya ze shalom. And shall be this one peace. Here, peace is personified because this one is the personification of peace. He is the author and the provider of it. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, one of the titles of the coming Messiah is Prince of Peace. The Hebrew there is Sar Shalom. Sar signifies a leader, a captain, an officer. It is someone who is in charge of something. In the case of the Messiah, he is the Prince of Peace. He is the one in charge of it. He grants it to those under him. Where there was strife and enmity with God, he now brings peace. Where there was the fear of death, there is in him the hope of eternal life. Where there was only groping and heavy darkness, in him is found the confident stride of walking in eternal light. He bestows all blessings and from him flows all prosperity and all goodness. He is complete in all ways, and this wholesome state of completeness will be transmitted to all things and to all of his people. He will be the lamp through which the radiance of God will illuminate the new Jerusalem for all eternity. Absolute peace flowing in pure light. In him, there will be no desire left unfilled because he is the creator of all things and thus the source of all blessings. These things bring shalom or peace because he is our shalom, our peace. And this is how Paul describes him in his letter to the Ephesians. When speaking of what is occurring in Micah, meaning the conversion of Israel to the conversion already found by the Gentiles, Paul says this of Christ Jesus, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. In darkness I groped, Darkness of the deepest night, looking for life that would last, but it could not be found. But then came the most marvelous light, and with it came the heavenly chorus, a glorious sound. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, there is now light on the path that we trod, the everlasting light of our resplendent Lord Jesus. Now there is a new hope for us, a hope eternal to those who sit in darkness and in death's shadow. There is salvation from hell's pit so infernal. There is from the lamp of God, Christ's eternal glow. Our second thought today is, but who do you say that I am? A prophecy about a coming Savior is only as good as the fulfilling of that prophecy. Unless a prophecy is to actually occur, the words written out are no better than the countless predictions of the rapture which come and go year by year. 
Such prophets are proven false, and their words quickly wither away. This is why if you must speculate on the day of the rapture or make any other prediction, you should never say, the Lord says. When your prediction is proven wrong, you have not only made yourself look stupid, you have also brought shame on his immeasurably great name. In the case of the words of Micah, the Jews of Israel believed what he had written was true. They accepted that his words were inspired by God, and they trusted that they would come to pass, even if they didn't understand all of what was being said. That is why after Jesus' birth, which, by the way, happened to be in Bethlehem, as recorded in Scripture, we read the words of Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let me read this to you. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, and search and carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me, so that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. These fellows show up and asked where the Messiah would be born. The account doesn't say that the chief priest and scribe had to stop and look it up. Rather, it was common knowledge. They simply said Bethlehem of Judea. We know they didn't bother looking it up because they then cited the words of Micah, but instead of citing exactly as the scroll said, they gave a paraphrase from memory. This is how common the knowledge was. But even more than this, it was common knowledge to all of Israel. In John chapter 7, we read this. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. The prophecies were read openly from scripture in the synagogues, and from there the story went out even to the people who may not have attended synagogue. It was commonly held knowledge. The thing about this prophecy is that, guess what, people? Bethlehem still exists today. But the Jews of today do not look to the words of Micah and expect that their Messiah comes from there. And even if they did, they couldn't prove Davidic ancestry. Those records were destroyed 2,000 years ago, and even if DNA could somehow prove this, their supposed Messiah would still have to be born of a virgin. 
And if a virgin could be artificially inseminated in order to bear a child, could it be said of that child without really stretching the intent of the Hebrew that his goings forth were from of old, from everlasting? And suppose they could somehow accept that. They would then need to accept that they were, at that time, going to be given up by this supposed Messiah for an unknown duration of time. Would they be willing to accept this? From this one short prophecy of Micah, which was commonly accepted as the reliable truth of God by Israel 2,000 years ago, as I just read you, they commonly accepted it. There are several impossible dilemmas concerning the identification of a coming Messiah in modern-day Israel. If we were to add in the countless other prophecies of this coming Christmas child, the absolute impossibility of anyone, anyone in human history fulfilling all of them is seen. That is, but with one exception. The person who claims that the Bible is true is faced with one and only one possible conclusion. Messiah has come. He fulfilled every prophecy concerning his first coming, including that Israel did to him exactly what scripture prophesied they would do. Thus, that only possible one is Jesus. In all honesty, the only other explanation is that the Bible isn't true, and Israel of today is actually an aberration, exactly as most of the people of the world claim. And if that is true, then Israel actually has no basis for who they claim to be, for the land they claim to possess, and for the claim that they are the chosen people of God. There is a terrible disconnect a national cognitive dissonance between Israel's identification with who they are and with what they believe concerning the basis for who they are, meaning scripture. And all of this stems from one thing and from one thing alone. That is in answering the question, who is Jesus? That question was asked of the disciples 2,000 years ago, and their response is recorded for all to accept or to dismiss. Here's what it says in Matthew 16. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What happened to Israel over the past 2,000 years is because of how they responded to that question. What will happen to them in the days ahead is because how they continue to respond to that same question. And the eternal destiny of every single person on this planet, whether they are aware of it or not, is tied up in the answer to that question. The Bible shows us that after much suffering and great loss, Israel will someday call out to this wonderful child of Christmas, Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Jehovah. When they do, they will be saved. For them, there is both an individual salvation and a national salvation. For each of us, there's only individual salvation or condemnation. The Messiah has come. He has performed his work, and we are asked to respond to that in faith that what he has done is sufficient to save. That is all he asks of us. And so today, here on this marvelous celebration of the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ, I would ask you to consider well what you believe. Jesus, through his word, is asking the question, but who do you say that I am? 
Is it possible that Micah's words are true? Could the eternal God really reveal himself to the people of the world as a helpless baby in a manger? Could he come without pomp and ceremony and walk the hills of Israel, telling his people about the completion of all things being found in him? Could he really be the same person who wept in agony over the punishment that he was about to face for the sins he didn't commit? And could he, the perfect lamb of God without spot or blemish, really go forth by the will of the Father to his death by crucifixion on a wooden cross? As for me... I am fully convinced of this truth. I believe that the eternal God took on our nature and assumed the punishment that I deserve. He took it in my place. He died in my place and he rose again by the power of God, cleansing me from all unrighteousness. I believe this with every fiber of my soul because it is the only thing that actually makes any sense in this otherwise confused and worthless existence. Without Jesus Christ, nothing matters. But with the child of Christmas having come, everything, everything makes complete sense. The times are reaching their end, and Christ will be here to collect his people soon. I hope and I pray that you will be on that express line to glory. Have your ticket ready, have Christ in your life now, and come aboard. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He died for the sins of the world. And all he asked you to do is to simply believe that. He doesn't ask for anything else. Anything else that you add to that simple gospel message is to say what he did there on the cross of Calvary was insufficient to save you. It is a slap in God's face. He says, let me read it to you so you're very clear on the gospel message. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, here it is, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. We saw that a couple times in today's verses. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And here's how you appropriate that, just in case you've never done it. He asks you to believe that fact, and then he says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I had a father and his wife show up a couple days ago in Sarasota and ask me to baptize their children and them as well. Then he said, would you talk to them to make sure they're right first? And I said, yeah, I will. And I wouldn't have done it anyway until I had a talk with them. I'm talking about two little theologians over here that understood exactly before I had to ask anything. And what does that reflect on? It reflects on a father that's willing to take the time to teach the children about Christ Jesus. And then we've got a boy that speaks the mother's language so he could tell his mother about these things. And so we've got a, a family here that came down to be baptized because they understood the simple truth of Jesus Christ. And that's what the Bible asks us to do. That if you believe... If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Done deal if you call on Jesus Christ. I would ask you to do that today. I got a closing verse for you. Words you all know very well. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. <sighs> Next week, we're going to be back in the Torah, the Pentateuch, the book of Numbers. Numbers eleven sixteen through 35. You may get it and even more. It's entitled, Be Careful What You Ask For. That'll be our 21st number sermon. I'll read you something. I only read you once a year. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. He was willing to put on a body of flesh and to dwell among us despite all the pains he had to endure in the process. If he did that for you, think of how much more lies ahead when we walk with him in glory. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. And when I say through you, we have a missionary that visited us today. And the Lord is working through that individual to bring this message to the nations of the world. He can do great things for you. I'm going to stop and I'm going to grab something that I want to show you. I showed this in the Bible class on uh, Thursday night. This is a calendar that I was sent by somebody that attends this church online. And here's a picture of their son in a wheelchair. He can move his finger. And he goes out and he takes pictures, beautiful pictures. And there are Bible verses on these. If this guy is in a wheelchair and he can do a ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ, what are you doing sitting on your hands all day, every day? That's what I want to know. We lost a brother recently, Chuck Pearson. He's in a wheelchair most of his life, right? He did more for Jesus than most people will ever do in their life. He had a ministry of getting the music out to the people, sharing the love of Christ. What are you doing? What is more valuable than telling people about this message? And if they can do it in a wheelchair, you can do it with two feet and two arms. All right? Wonderful, wonderful thing that Jesus did for us. Don't be silent about it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I have a poem called The Child of Glory. The Lord spoke to Ahaz, and thus he said, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above your head. Ask it from the heavens under which you trod. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. I will not be presumptuous and speak another word. Then he said, Here now, O house of David, I want you to know, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Is this how you live in iniquity's hidden den? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, and she shall bear a son by my glorious design. His name shall be Emmanuel. Hear now and believe. And you, Bethlehem Ephratah, I know that you agree. You are little among the thousands of Judah. It is so. Yet out of you shall come forth even unto me, the one to be ruler in Israel. My word is true, you know. His goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Thus you have been told. Praise God, O Israel, for unto us a child is born. Praise the Lord, land of Judah, for unto us a son is given. And the government shall upon his shoulder be worn, and through him shall man's sins be forgiven. And his name will be called Wonderful. The Counselor and Mighty God is he, Everlasting Father, 
prince of peace, pure and white as wool, of the increase of his government and peace, no end shall we see. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom's realm to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, he at the helm, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes and we shout hallelujah and to him the obedience of the people shall be sweet. Do not be afraid for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people forever told the wondrous story the birth of a boy. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior it is he who is Christ the Lord, to whom heaven's hosts obey. The Messiah has come, and now you may go and see. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, a glorious view, the Christmas child whom our heavenly Father bestows. A child like no other has come to dwell among us. He shall lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Then his name is called out. His name is Jesus. Come and of the heavenly child partake. He is God's gift and heaven's treasure. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he bestows us grace without measure. The Christmas child, our glorious Lord Jesus. This helpless baby lying in a manger will rule the world in everlasting peace. Through him will come security with no danger. And the rule of his glory shall never, never cease. All praise to this stupendous Lord of glory. Yes, all honor to this precious King, praising God for the wondrous Christmas story. Let the Lord's redeemed shout aloud and sing hallelujah and amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you did in the person of Jesus Christ, the child of Christmas. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you that we have the surest possible hope of any. The word is so sure. Everything fits when it's centered on one person and when we fail to see that none of it makes any sense it's the most confused book on the face of the planet but we do know because we know jesus and everything falls into its proper place thank you for the surety we possess thank you for the faith which you granted us to believe in this gospel message thank you for jesus our lord and it's in his exalted name we pray amen Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And he would have blessed his bread. He would have said, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam hamutzi lechem min haaretz. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. And he would have blessed us as well. He would have said, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech haolam, Borei peri hagafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. If you don't understand the new covenant, follow along in the Hebrew studies we're doing every day. It's very clear what the new covenant means and what it means in relation to the old covenant, the new covenant. For as often as you eat this dr- this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty 
of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take one of those and give them to everybody that goes by. What's that? Take one of those after you're done and give one to everybody that goes oh, by. Okay. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before you all go on, I want to say something. She's going to hand you each something, and I want you to pretend that I wrapped them very nicely, okay? <laughs> Don't open them till Christmas Day, okay? the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll talk to you about those. Oh, driving you crazy? No, I think, oh. I think they're not aiming in the right direction. No, there you are. There's a very small place where you can get your sight out of it. Very small. Right there. Yeah, that's right. Which is not good. No. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Great sermon. Thank you. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome, brother. What's that? No, it's grape juice. No, that's okay. It's just, you know, in the church, if you have somebody that was an alcoholic and you had real wine, it might cause them to stumble, and we don't want to do that. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're trying with your wife. <laughs> well, I hope I get some. We'll see. You deserve it. Oh, boy. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for being here, Ray. You're a blessing. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not care if you're sick. Come here. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. take this with you. Sick and all. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Here, I'm sorry. I just <laughs> meant to include both of you, and I'm a little distracted here. Oh. We are too. By you. Oh boy. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ooh, look at that. Oh, I didn't even see that. Oh my. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, it looks like there's going to be enough. I got more, but I just brought enough for here today, so. Praise God. He's always good to us. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glorious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, our Lord. We thank you for what he did for us. He came as a baby to die on a cross. He was born in a manger without pomp and circumstance. He lived in obscurity. And he died in shame for us. How amazing. How glorious you are. What you, Your plan of what you did, Lord, is so astonishing. No wonder the people of the world don't get it. It's just beyond comprehension until we simply say, it's got to be true. Look into ourselves and we see the dirt and we see the smudges and we say it's got to be true. Thank you for Jesus. Please bless this congregation, everybody that's here and the people that are online. Give them happiness in their hearts and joy in the week ahead. And then we'll be going into another year. And we pray that in that time you'll be coming for us, but we're going to wait patiently no matter what happens. We're going to wait for you and we're going to do our job and we're going to get off our feet, get off our backsides and on our feet and we're going to proclaim this message while we can help us to be bold in that and help us to do it to your honor and glory then we pray this in jesus name amen Amen.